welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. Well, hello. It's good to be back with you again and um, continuing our conversation. In this um, series of letters to seven churches, actual geographically located places, but that then enable us to have larger conversations about the church through the age, even though they're all in the first and second centuries. Uh, As John, the beloved, the disciple of Jesus, the one whom he loves, is in exile on the island of of Patmos and is writing this kind of um, encouraging but challenging series of revelations, letters to these churches, uh, dealing with varying elements that each of them are facing Uh, as the Roman Empire begins to kind of uh, vibrate uh, with concern and control, the Caesar needing, insisting on being worshipped as God, and of course the Christian community being unable to do so, uh, and uh, feeling the pressure then that publicly, socially, that brings on them uh, as the Roman Empire tries to wrest control uh, from from this insurgent movement. Um, and the letter we look at today is the letter to the church at Thyatira. And it is uh, the harshest letter, the most difficult one in many ways. Um, and not only is it difficult because of its content, it is difficult because we don't know a whole lot about Thyatira. Uh, it is uh, a tradesman's city. And about all we know about it is that the trade unions, the guilds, had um, developed a uh, pretty ironclad control over commerce in the city. And that may or may not have been a problem, except for the fact that part of the uh, ritual of the trade union feasts was this regular gathering for feasts Uh, Trade union rules and regulations required members to show up at these regular feasts at which there would be incense burned, offerings made to the gods, and particularly the declaration uh, that Caesar was Lord, Caesar was God. And you can imagine now a Christian tradesman, somebody who had sworn allegiance to Jesus as Lord is going to have a problem with that. Uh, and then not only that, of course, uh, these feasts tended to degenerate fairly quickly. Uh, a lot of alcohol flowing, a lot of uh, debauchery going on, and sexual immorality became part of the challenge then uh, of, these, of these feasts. So how do you, as a Christian businessman, do business in a culture that requires you to technically salute to another God while you yourself are a disciple of Jesus. And so this, is, this was a problem. Uh, and because your livelihood depended on it, your uh, ability to feed your family, to uh, support your, um, your, your family uh, depended on it. And if you chose not to attend the feast, then business would not be coming your way. Uh, And it is that kind of an environment into which uh, John writes this letter to this uh, challenged church. Uh, And so we'll pick it up at uh, Revelation chapter 2 
and verse 18. It says this, to the angel, to the messenger, to the pastor of the church in Thyatira write, these are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire, whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love, your faith, your service, your perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet, and by her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So, I will cast her on a bed of suffering. I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds. I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now, I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching, have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose on you any other burden except to hold on to that what you, what you have until I come. To the one who is victorious, who does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations that one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my Father. I will give that authority, give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You can see what I mean. This is a, a challenging letter. Uh, apparently, back in the first century, money and sex were a problem. Go figure. Um, fortunately, maybe not. We still have to deal with those issues. And um, I think this letter gives us a snapshot of what Jesus expects, because what gets compromised here is holiness. And holiness, as you remember from previous conversations, is not specialness, it's usefulness. If the church is the same as everybody else in the world, then it loses its ability to partner with the Spirit to help save the world. So this, church, this letter begins with commendation, as many of them do, and it is rich and thick with wonder. This, however, notice, is a letter that comes in verse uh, 18 from the Son of God. That is a, that's the only time in all of these letters that that title is used, and it is to indicate that this is the real Son of God, not the Apollo, not the Son of the Emperor, not the Son of that God, this true and honest Son of God whose eyes are like blazing fire, who doesn't miss a trick, who doesn't miss a thing, who sees with clarity and precision, and it says, whose feet are like burnished bronze. Remember, we talked about that in the first vision of John. He is solid. He is established. He is not going anywhere. His kingdom is, has come and is coming 
And it's important that we recognize, if I can just circle back around for a minute, in that vision that John has in the beginning of the first chapter of Revelation, where is Jesus as these churches are going through this challenging season, persecution, uh, difficult time? Where is he? And John reminds us, and this text reminds us, he is right there. He is right with them. But in this particular case, eyes wide open, he is seeing some things that disturb him, doesn't, uh, it, that disturb him in terms of the mission of the church. And so he wants to go after it. But first, he wants to say to the majority of folks in the church, guys, you're doing well. You're doing good. I know your deeds. I know the work you're doing in the community. I know the character that is being displayed in love and faith, your service, your perseverance. You're even doing now more than you were at the beginning. Good for you. Keep it up. Don't lose track of that. These are significant markers. And even though we move on to the next kind of chunk of the letter, I don't want you to miss uh, how um, proud Jesus is of this church under extremely challenging circumstances, that they are still going for it. They are still pressing in. They are still doing under difficult and challenging uh, circumstances. They're still doing the work of mission and ministry, um, but they are at risk nonetheless. They, their, their tolerance uh, has, has gotten them into, into trouble. He says here in verse 20, I've got this against you guys. You tolerate, you put up with, and have persisted in putting up with this woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. Now, we don't know if there was an actual person called Jezebel or if this uh, is a kind of a code phrase intended to bring back up uh, Jezebel from the Old Testament, the wife of Ahab, who introduced Baal worship into Israel and uh, was largely responsible for the, the, the fragmentation of Israel's capacity to image and represent God, uh, confronted by Elijah. You remember the stories back there in, in 1 Kings. So we don't know if that was her actual name uh, or if that name is assigned her as kind of a, uh, a symbol of the danger she represents of compromise, the danger she represents, because what Jezebel in the Old Testament did was say, it's not that big a deal. You can worship Yahweh, the God of Israel, and you can worship Baal. Two gods are better than one, right? And that um, popular uh, opinion that seems so reasonable won the day and uh, led to the inability of Israel to actually partner with God in the mission for which they were, were, were created in the first place. And John sees the same problem here. The risen Christ sees the same problem here. You guys are putting up with a woman who, uh, who, who under, the, under the guise of being a prophet, let me tell you, she's a false prophet. She calls herself a prophet, but she really isn't one. We need to learn how to discern prophetic voices that speak against what God is doing and what God is calling us to. And in this particular case, you can understand why in a community that required compromise, in a community that required tradespeople uh, to, to bow the knee, to light the incense, 
to participate in this worship feasts of the god Caesar, uh, why her message would be received as a breath of fresh air. Uh, Prophets, the false prophets, almost always will speak to itching ears. They will say in Jesus' name what people want them to say so that the people can feel justified in doing what what they feel they need to do. And this is the case. This is the challenge that she represents. She is prophesying falsely that God is okay, that, that it doesn't matter that you light the incense, that you sacrifice the, uh, to, the, to the God Caesar, that you go along to get along. Everybody has to do it. It's the price of business in Thyatira. It's the way things are. And so what if you end up sleeping with somebody who's not your wife at the end of this drunken debauchery? So what if if sexual immorality works its way into your... It's just the way things are in the culture you live in. And you can hear how this speaks directly to our culture today in so many ways. Substitute the name of the god Caesar for mammon. What price are we willing as Christian business persons as disciples of Jesus, what price are we willing to pay for the bottom line? And this is what he's going after. He says, you got to remember the bottom line isn't the bottom line. The bottom line is, are you partnering with God to save the world? And the more compromise, because God cares about how business is done. God cares about the the edges that you file off. God cares about, in in the Old Testament, the thumb on the scale. Uh, He wants his people to be known as persons of integrity. Uh, If if you are a Christian business person back in the 70s and 80s, there was that little fish on your business card, you may remember. Uh, and, And that ought to have meant something. Unfortunately, even back then, it often was just another way of marketing. And John writing this letter to this church on behalf of the risen Christ says, this is not right, guys. This is not how we are supposed to be living our lives. This pragmatism, go along to get along. You got to make sure you're going, you want to end up where everybody's going. And let me tell you where this is going to end up. He says, I will cast her on a bed of suffering. I will make those who commit adultery with her. Adultery here is is code word for idolatry. It's used throughout the Old Testament as well. They're going to pay a price for this. They're going to suffer intensely. Because when the kingdom of God comes, all other kingdoms and all of their small g gods are going down. So if you're going along to get along... You might want to think about where you're going and where you want it, whether you want to be there because by the time you get there, it's too late to decide where you want to be. So John invites them, the risen Christ invites them to repent. He says, I've given her plenty of opportunity to repent. I've, 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 uh, uh, and she won't do it. She won't do it. The outcome's not going to be good. This is not punishment of sin. This is punishment by sin. Remember, we're not 
so much punished for our sins as we are punished by our sins. It's, it's, it's sand in the gears. It's not how life is supposed to work. And when you start to compromise, when you start to turn the corner in terms of sexual morality, when you start to turn the corner in terms of matters of financial integrity, sooner or later, there is a price to pay for that. And this is what he's talking about. It's not going to end well, guys. So get off the bus now. Repent now. Those of you who are finding yourselves, I I get it. I get how hard it is. You wonder if you're going to be able to pay your mortgage. Can I just say to you, it's better to lose your house than compromise your following of Jesus. It's a hard word. And I know it. I know it. Please Please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying this in a kind of superior way. There's no condemnation here. You and Jesus have to work this out. But I will say if you're hearing a voice that is saying to you it's okay to to be slipshod, it's okay to violate your character and integrity, and particularly in our culture, uh, uh, to to violate sexual integrity, uh, which is candidly is is rife in, in the church as much as it is everywhere else in the world, we're losing ground here. And at a time when the world is vibrating with anxiety and fear, is looking for somebody who knows where to stand solidly and stably, we serve one whose feet are as brunished, burnished brass. They are solid and established. They're looking for somebody who can stay still in the storm. And if we've already started to waver with financial mismanagement and with sexual uh, 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 brokenness, we don't offer them hope. And the risen Christ says, I'm going to repay each of you according to your deeds. So get off the bus while you can. Repent while you can. Because he says, I say to the rest of you, this is, this is strong language, isn't it? It's hyperbolic language. It's this graphic novel Warning, it's the skull and crossbones on the bottle of poison that says, stay away from this. Whatever pleasure, whatever advantage, whatever gain you might achieve is not worth the price you're going to pay. So he says, now, to the rest of you. He realizes he's only talking to a, a few, but, but cancer will spread. And remember, this understanding of sin, this understanding of immorality, this understanding of the loss of financial integrity, this isn't, this isn't a speeding ticket that you only pay if you get caught. This is a cancer that will kill you. You pray to God that it gets caught. He's caught him. We're going to go after it. We're going to go after it with surgery. We're going to go after it with radiation. We're going to go after it with chemotherapy. Why? Because we want you to live and to be useful in partnering with God to save the world. So he says to the rest, look, guys, I'm not going to lay anything more on you. You're doing great. Don't get sucked in by this, by this deeper secrets knowledge because this is how it gets trafficked, right? This idea of this prophetic awareness that some people know things that other people don't know when you can know what these some people know and it will advance you it will benefit you and John is just saying the risen Christ is just saying mm, nah 
It's not, there's a whole bunch of stuff it's best if you just don't know. These deeper secrets will not end well for you. So don't go there. Don't go there. He's not going to impose, he says, any other burden on him. You're doing well. You're doing good. And then he says this. I love this at the end. To the one who is victorious, who does my will, I will give authority over the nations. Right now, you guys, you are under the thumb. You are crushed by a social structure that is prejudiced, biased against you simply because you are a disciple of mine. You are being persecuted in your financial transactions because you're a disciple of mine and you insist on integrity. Sooner or later, the tables are going to turn and I will give you authority over the nations just as I have received authority from my Father. And then he says this beautiful little statement, I will also give that one the morning star. Jesus is the morning star. He is the, 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 the star that signals the end of night and the beginning of a new dawn. So taking this image in uh, a, a star-conscious culture and saying that morning star that signals the end of night and the beginning of a new day, I'll give you that. Stay true. Stay focused. Don't get lost in the dark. Don't compromise who you are. Don't justify your behavior. Repent. It's a hard word. It's a word that has caused me to look in the mirror um, and invite the Spirit to search my heart. Lord, where am I missing it? Maybe not on these particular issues, but I want to be useful to you, especially in this season in which folks are just anxious. You feel it. You know it. How are we going to become the kinds of people that God can use in this culture? And, and again, we've said it over and over again. It's not going to get better before it gets, it's going to get worse likely before it gets better. So we want to be people of holiness. We want to be people whom God can trust. We want to be the kinds of people who God can use to partner with him to save the world. I want to receive the morning star, the promise of the presence of Jesus. I want you to notice one final thing. He's not addressing this to the world. He's not saying to all of those people out there, you guys need to get your act together. You need to stop doing this with your money. You need to stop doing this with your bodies. Your sexuality is uh, abhorrent or whatever. He's not saying that to them out there. That's not our business either. Our business is to say, Lord, here am I. I'm the one standing in the need of prayer. I want to search my heart because Jesus knows that while that damage is being done out there and those behaviors and those attitudes, the, 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 that's not the real problem for those folks out there, those folks. It's that they don't know Jesus. How are they going to know him? Except by 
means of the ones to whom he has given himself, the morning star, who speak then truth in love, not to them, but to themselves, aligning in repentance for the purpose of partnership in holiness. Let's pray. Oh Lord, I, I, <laughs> I thank you for this text. It's a hard one for, for me, for us. Thank you, Lord, that you love us enough, however, to go after the things that are destroying us. You love us enough, to, you care for us enough to say, mm, this is going to kill you, this is going to kill you. Back away. And I pray, Lord, for courage. I pray for the infilling of your Holy Spirit so that we can become the kinds of people who, having repented, who, having now stayed the course, can receive the morning star and partner with you to be an agent of hope and help in this world so fractured by these compromises that make so much sense in the moment, but in the long run are death-dealing. Help us in this, Lord. We want to be your people. Thank you that you've called us that. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit garden.church.